0: Second prophetic vision of John. The Redeemer has stepped onto the scene. Again, redemption is the process by which sinful humanity is brought back or freed from the bondage of sin into a right relationship with God. All of us who have born, been born again have been freed from the bondage of sin. We don't have to sin all the time, and Satan is no longer our master. <laughs> However, it's an already not yet kind of circumstance. We're already freed. But we still have this body of death we carry around. We're longing for the final redemption, which is what was talked about in Romans 8. And then here, it's brought back up. And the idea is is and it builds an anticipation that somebody's going to step out, this one who is worthy is going to step out and set things right. It's going to make the world right. It's going to make things the way it should be. No more sin. Get rid of this sin nature we have. And he's going to begin to start the final redemption of the land and the restoration of the creation. We saw last week there was only one worthy of this, and his name is Jesus. He is the only one worthy to open the scrolls. Remember, chapter 5 can kind of be outlined by the little phrase at the beginning of chapter 5, And I saw... It's found at the beginning of verse 1, at the beginning of verse 2, at the beginning of verse 6, and at the beginning of verse 11. It's a four breakdown, or the chapter can be broken down into four sections. First, you have in verse 1 the revelation of a scroll, that is the book, that is the title deed of the creation. Second, in verses 2 through 5, we see the search for the one who is worthy. It builds that anticipation to the climactic point in the future. Remember, all of these events in 4 and 5 are in the future. So this is almost like the, the final thing, that final please come. Come now. Please come. It's at the highest point of anticipation. And John breaks out in tears. That's the revelation of the scroll and then the search for the one who is worthy. And we found last week that the one who is worthy is Jesus. Then there's the transfer in verse 6. And I saw between the thrones and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. So the transfer of the scroll from the Father to the Son, especially in 6 and 7. And then in verse 11, the resulting worship from all of creation, which we'll talk about. Then I saw is how that should be translated in verse 11. The resulting worship. We saw last week the anticipation of the redemption came in verse 5-4 where John broke down in that lamentation, crying, Who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll? Again, write down this concept and remember, the scroll is the title deed of the creation. To bring the creation and give the creation to its creator. And specifically, his Christ, the Messiah. It also includes on this scroll how the creation was going to be given back or transferred back to the, creator, to the Creator and thus the Christ. We saw the scroll was history before it happened. We saw that there was only one who was worthy. And we saw that the concept of opening the scrolls included not just breaking the seals, those seven seals, and reading it, but also it meant... He had the authority to carry out what was in that book, to bring it about. He had the authority. Christ alone has the authority to bring about this final redemption. We saw Jesus is the only one worthy. We saw that he's the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, pointing to his royal lineage, right? That he's the king of kings and reigns. We saw that he was the overcomer or the conqueror in verse 5. Remember, he conquered by accomplishing all righteousness all the way to his death and then rising from the dead as we celebrated last week on Resurrection Sunday. We also saw that Jesus is the center of everything in heaven now. He's now in the center of the throne along with the Father, so everything is focused on him. And then in verse 6, we come across this little phrase, a lamb standing as if slain. We saw that Jesus was the Christ who was sacrificed, died, and rose from the dead. So he's not only the all-powerful king, but he's also the sacrificial lamb of God. He's not only the judge, but he's the lamb that was sacrificed for our sin. He's the all-powerful, all-knowing one. At the end of verse 6 it says, seven horns and seven eyes. Again, this symbolized the idea of his being all-powerful and all-knowing. And then finally we saw in verse 7, And he, that is the Lamb, look, verse 7, He came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That is, he was the only one who had the authority and the ability to approach the Father. He was equal in authority and worth to the Father. This points obviously to Jesus being the worthy one. Equal with the Father. He is Lord. He is worthy. He is the Lamb. He is the Lion. He is worthy. Now today we're going to see how the what the response of the creation is to the lamb's initiation of the final redemption. Let's read our passage. We'll start in Revelation five, six, and we'll read down through the end. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power. And riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and dominion, forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Again, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. We pray now that as we look at it, that you will help us to see the glory of the Lamb. To meditate on the glorious truth of his return and his redemption of this world. Help us, Father, to always trust in him. Help us to always look To you. Thank you, Father, for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The initiation of God's plan to bring about the final redemption. Let's look at three rounds of worship directed towards the Lamb who will initiate the final redemption. Again, let's look at three rounds of worship directed towards the Lamb who will initiate the final redemption. This worship will both heighten our understanding of our Savior. Hopefully you will walk out of here going, Yes, Jesus, you are amazing. And also it will instruct us concerning genuine worship again. The first round, let's look. The worship from the highest of high in God's court in 5, 8 through 10. We see this in the worship of the 24 and the 4. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Who are the first to worship the Lamb? That would be the four living beings and the twenty-four elders. Again, the highest of high in God's realm. These are the ones that come before the Lamb and worship. What does their worship include? Again, it includes a humble posture. They fell before the Lamb. The same concept was introduced in 4.10 to the Father. Now here in heaven, the 24 who were previously described as falling before the Father, now also the other four are included. So all 28, it appears, fall before Him. Jesus is now the object of their worship. Again, falling before the Lamb is to acknowledge with humility the Lamb's worth is far superior to the, their own. These 24 and 4 are falling before Him saying, You are worthy, we are not. You are worthy, you are superior, we are nothing. We are yours. You are great. You are superior. The highest of high in heaven. Prostrate themselves before the Lamb. The idea in our world is uh, contrary to it. You think about it, the highest of high, the royals, the ones with the king's crowns in our world, what do they do? Well, it happens often. You look over in North Korea right now. What they'll do is they'll shoot off a missile and they'll have these big parades and they'll show off all their guns, right? That's how I remember when I was growing up, the Soviet Union was still constantly doing this. And it was always this big parade. Look at me. And no leader would ever bow or do anything like that. It was always, I am victor. I am powerful. All these people are mine. Let me show you my weapons. Here, what do we have? The highest of high, what do they do? They do the opposite. They fall before the Lamb. They have all the power. You're talking about probably the strongest, the most powerful, the most ruling of all of God's creation. What are they doing? Prostrating themselves right before God, before the lamb falling on their faces. Again, this shows and points to what real worship is all about, right? Real worship is saying what? Worship is not about me. It's all about the one whom I worship. I think it's very interesting here. There's kind of a side important implication from this passage, though. Uh, this week, or was it this week? I think it was last week. My weeks are starting to run together. I was on campus, and some Mormons walked up to us and were uh, walked up to me, and I was talking, and there was another young man there I was talking to, and they began to talk to us about um, their religion. And I got to talking to him about the Trinity. That's a great place to start, by the way, if you want to. Work with the Mormons, and they said, "Oh yeah, we believe that there's God the Father and God the Son." So well, that sounds very similar. And so I said, "Is is God three persons but one God?" They said, "Well, you know, there's the Father and then there's the Son." So yeah, I understand that. <laughs> is is just let's cut to the chase. Is Jesus um, Satan's brother? Yes. Well, yeah, that's what we believe. So he's a created being. Well, no, well, y- y- no, no. He's, you know, is he lesser than the Father? Well, y- yeah, he's the Son. He's the Son. The Father, the Son. Is he God? Well, yeah, he's God. Is, is he God, the only one true God? Like Deuteronomy, Right? The Lord, He is one. Or turn with me, or you don't even have to turn. But Deuteronomy 4.35 says, To you it was shown that you might know the Lord. He is God. There is no other besides Him. There's one God. And there's no other gods. And who is that one God? Is that God include Jesus, the Son? Well, no. There's But there's, you know, what are you getting? They don't believe in the Trinity. Ultimately they don't. They call him the Son of God. We call him the Son of God. But what does the Son of God mean? That's key. Does it mean that he is part of the Trinity? The one true God. One of the members of the Godhead? If not, then you missed it. If you look at Deuteronomy or if you look at Revelation, what do we see here? Who is being worshipped? The Son. Just like the Father was worshipped. The 24 fall down before the Father, and now the 24 fall down before who? The Lamb. It is very clear that God says you shall not worship them or serve them, talking to false gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father on their children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And for you... And he also says, for you shall not worship any other God. For the Lord who his name is jealous, is a jealous God. So God, what? Wants to be worshipped only by his people. No other gods. If Jesus is worshipped, then that means he is what? God. Heaven gets worship right. Correct? Alright. Second, notice they have musical instruments. They have each a Harp. The harp was an instrument, also associated with the lyre in the Old Testament. This was an instrument associated with joy and gladness, also associated with joyful worship in the Psalms, as you can read through. It's also an instrument of praise and worship in the Scriptures. It's a wooden instrument with strings. It would have been very similar to a smaller version of our guitar. We think of a harp as this big, the big harps, you know. I don't think this is what was in mind based on my study of the word. But it has the idea of a joyful instrument. Third, the symbolic figures. Notice the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The golden bowls full of incense was a symbolic idea of Hebrew practice of pouring bowls out on an altar, filled with incense, and these incense were supposed to be, Uh, pleasing aromas to the Lord. So it's, again, pointing to this concept of how the prayers of the saints, the prayers of all believers, are a pleasing aroma, and it is the very thing that calls to mind the redemption of the creation. So what are these prayers? I would suggest it's really interesting the way this book works out. Revelation 4-5 appears to be a future scene, right? At the end of Revelation, however, it seems to finish... Turn with me, look at Revelation 22. Remember, the, the scene is, the visions are over. And in Revelation 22, we have this interesting prayer from the Spirit along with the bride. And we see it in Revelation 22:17. 17. We'll start in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my messenger to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Then in verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. What's the idea of this? Come. Come. Come to the bride. Come to the Spirit and the church promise the coming of the Messiah. And then they call people to come to Him. But the, the whole idea here is at the end, in light of all that's going to unfold, the redemption that's going to happen, now the church does what? It petitions Christ to do what? Come. Come. It's the prayers of the saints, literally. These prayers are added. To this bowl. This is all looking forward to that concept. Again, as I meditated on this this morning, I thought, you know, I'm adding to these prayers right now. <laughs> Please come. Redeem this body. Redeem this land. Make the creation back to way it's supposed to be. Come, Lord Jesus. Is that your prayer? Hopefully it is. So to summarize, Jesus steps up to begin this final redemption and the 24 and the 4 fall down in worship. And notice, lastly, they sing a new song. They sing a new song. It appears here, there's some speculation. People say, no, angels don't sing. Well, if you take the 24 and the 4, and it seems as though it's talking about both, then they do sing. They sang a new song, who sang... Either 24-4 or all 28. Either way, it's an, um, probably an amazing music. Can you imagine? I mean, think about that worship scene. As, uh, as much as I love our musicians and as great as some of you can sing, uh, can you imagine holy angels or holy beings that have never sinned with perfect bodies singing? Whew. I bet it was amazing. I bet it will be, rather, amazing. It's perfect without sin, without the effects of the curse. It's perfect harmony, perfect tone, perfect precision, holy worship. Can't wait. How about you? I want to hear it. It's going to be amazing. And a new song carries with it the idea of, in the Bible especially, with the idea of a new, fresh awareness of God's glory. Here we go. These holy living beings see The Lamb step up, take the scroll, which means final redemption. They're seeing a new aspect of God's glory revealed. And so what do they do? They sing a new song. It's great stuff. Thomas states this new song. This is a description of a song that is new in nature, different from usual, impressive, better than old, superior in value. Can't wait. A new awareness of the glory of the Savior. Now, what do they acknowledge? Let's look. Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. First, notice... How they start? They start very similar to the way the 24 started in verse 11. Worthy are you. Same concept. Just as the Father is described as worthy, now the term is associated with the Son. Again, only God is worthy of this kind of praise. Again, the underlining implication is Jesus is just as worthy as the Father because both are members of the Godhead. This word, however, here emphasizes why Jesus is worthy. Notice, you are worthy to take the books. In other words, you're equal to the task. You are um, worthy of the task of doing this. Why does he have this privilege of opening the book and breaking its seals? Again, remember, carrying it out. Not just reading it, but carrying it out. Why is he worthy? The answer is given right there. Jesus is worthy because, and there's four reasons that are given. Notice, for you were slain. One, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and nation and people, or tongue and people and nation. And third, you have made them to be a kingdom. And fourth, priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. We'll talk about the reign and how that just kind of develops that concept as we go. But let's look at this worth of the Savior. Why He is worthy. It's fourfold. You were slain. Interestingly, think about this for a second. The cross, even thousands of years after the fact, is still the ground or basis for everything. Think about it for a second. The cross is the basis for everything, even the final redemption. Sometimes we get... um, we get this concept that the cross is only to get a person saved, and the reality is is that the cross and the work of the cross and the work of the Savior has implications for eternity. It's a wild thought. It's not just get us saved at the beginning. It's not just keep us saved throughout. It's glorification too. And the final redemption of the earth is all based upon this concept of the lamb being slain. I find it interesting that the effect of the cross has eternal value. Why is Jesus worthy to take back the world? The cross. Why is Jesus worthy to restore the creation to its proper place? The cross. Why is worthy to redeem? Why is Jesus worthy to redeem the world of its fallen state? Because he has died and purchased. People for God from everywhere. So, notice, second, and you purchase for God men from everywhere and every people. Again, redemption is the picture of slaves being bought out of a repressive situation. Thus being freed to do what they were created to do. Humanity is in a place of enslavement. Presently, we are born with natures that are in bondage to sin. We are born in a world that is run by an evil dictator. You might not see him, but he is active. Then we are slave, or saved, believers are saved, and therefore freed from this bondage of sin, and we are no longer under his rule. However, we still live in these bodies of death that have the effects of the old nature. We are still living among creation that still groans as we mentioned. We are redeemed yet we are redeemed yet not fully redeemed as you may think. It's an already not yet kind of circumstance. What do I mean by already not yet? We are already freed from sin. Satan is no longer our lord, our master if we're born again. But not yet have we fully realized all the glory of having Christ as our Lord and Master. We no longer have to sin. Praise the Lord, right? Because of what Christ did on the cross. And because of what the Spirit did in our hearts. However, we still body or battle this body of death. And the creation is experiencing it all the time. Folks, you probably have experienced this week numerous times the need for the creation to be redeemed. Would you not agree? How many times have we been talked to harshly or maybe even unfortunately uh, talked to someone else harshly? How many times have we been affected by the cursed world this week? I would suggest we've been affected by it a lot, haven't we? Tons. Anybody cry this week? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody sad this week? Anybody get angry this week? Anybody have somebody treat you bad this week? Anybody treat somebody bad this week? Anybody seen a death on television this week? I mean, anybody not seen a death on television this week? Our creation needs a redemption, doesn't it? Only Jesus has purchased a people, and therefore he is worthy to come and take these people as his own. Now, Jesus is worthy. And able to take possession of his creation and his people that he died for, and the purchase now will be a he. The purchase now will be able to serve and enjoy their master to the fullest. Well, I can't wait for that. Can you <laughs> to just enjoy Christ completely without without any hindrances? Uh, I bet some moms in here can associate with this. Uh, just hang around your... Dads hang around the the family for just a little bit and see what they do. And all these little distractions and all they're always going a million miles an hour. We added a dog this week and it just really, in a sense, added another distraction. Just constantly everything's going and going and moving and moving. And what we need is what? To focus our attention completely on Christ. How many of you are longing for that day when the only object of your affection and focus will be Christ. I look forward to that. Don't you? That's what it's about. And he has purchased a people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is a phrase that's used five times in Daniel. It's a people without distinction of race, language, geographic boundaries, or political governing authorities. Our skin colors, our languages, our locations, our countries will be wide and varied. The earth is not just, not for a particular race, folks. It's not for a particular language or a country. Um, worship is not limited to a select people group. Worship and service of the creator is for all people groups without distinctions, Without distinction. Because Jesus has purchased a people from all of them. I love the title of Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. That's just awesome. That's, That's what it's all about. That's what we should be all about, isn't it? We should be all about sharing the glory of Christ that all the tribes and all the tongues may do what they were created to do. Oh, i got so many young people in here. I want to just kind of shake you. <laughs> Say, you're young. Think about it. <laughs> Pray about it. Think about the possibilities. You can share the glory of Christ with nations. All kinds of different languages. See people from all over the world come. Wouldn't it be amazing if Grace Bible Church, we had this gigantic reunion at the throne of God Revelation 5 and we were all spread out all over and we brought people to Christ. That's what I want. You say, Mike, you don't want us to leave? I do. (laughs) I do. I want you to go after you're trained. (laughs) After you understand what biblical exposition is all about. Because, look, we want to make the nations glad right? I can't wait. I can't wait. Can you wait? Just think for, stop for a second. We're all going to be in heaven together because he purchased people, all these people. We're all going to be there. And It's not going to be, oh, I can't believe. Oh, can you believe those people are here? (laughs) Oh, wow. No, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be, yes, great. I know that people must think I'm strange. Uh, anytime I see anybody of a different race or ethnicity than me, I'm kind of awkward. The reason why, I, I, I automatically go up to him and I want to talk to them. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> There's something about evangelizing anybody that's different than me. I think it's because this passage screams in my head, Christ purchased you. Christ very well could have died for you. Let me share with you the good news. So you might find me at various different locations around the city, all with the hope of meeting someone, sharing the gospel with anybody, because we're all people, right? And heaven is not based on race. It's people from all different tribes, tongue, nation. Notice, third, you have made them. Look what Jesus did. He made this. A kingdom. A kingdom. We're part of a kingdom to be included in the glories of the kingdom. A phrase we all too often hear in America say, we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. You might have heard that. I think it's even uh, one of these talk show guys, he uses a phrase almost identical to this. We live in... Greatest country on God's green earth, or something like that. I don't even remember his name. But the point is, not that. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's up for debate. Though I pray and I love my country, don't think that I don't love America. I'm not saying that. I would suggest to you the best kingdom to be a part of is this one. That's the kingdom I want to be a part of. That's the one you should be wanting to be a part of, right? The one that includes every tribe, tongue, nation. Right? Language. This is what he's done. All genuine believers in Christ are part of this great, big, gigantic kingdom. Does he deserve worship? Does the lamb deserve worship? Yes, he does. And you have made them to be priests to our God. To our God. The priest is obviously a group of people who worship. They point others to worship. They are true worshipers themselves. And all who believe in Jesus have been made priests by Christ to God. We are presently a royal priesthood, as Luther described the passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and 9. But one day we will experience the fullness of our role as priests in the coming kingdom when Jesus brings us to this final restoration and we all worship As we were created to do. They will reign upon the earth. Describes both. The idea of us being a part of the kingdom. And priest. And we will reign. Now Jesus has made this huge kingdom of priests. Who will worship. To reign with him. So the subjects. Of the millennium kingdom. Have been bought. And made. The one who made it all possible is the lamb. Who is worthy to come. And take his creation and make his kingdom how he wants it to be. Now the scene kind of broadens out. And this is staggering. Look at this. The second scene real quick. Probably conclude with this. Verse 11. And then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The worship from the millions of God's angels takes place now. Who is this next group? It's a group of an incalculable Number of angels around the Lamb. What's this? Myriads of myriads. It's literally the highest. of Apparently, it's the highest Greek number. That's the Greek word. The highest Greek number is 10,000. And here, it's 10,000 of 10,000. And it's plural, 10,000s of 10,000s. Now, just to give you an idea what that means, it's like 10,000 times 10,000 Many, many times, okay? That's what? Millions. ten million, million. Millions. Millions and millions. We can't even comprehend it. I was trying to talk to Brenda about this on the way over to St. Pete last night. Think of the largest event you've ever been in. What's the largest event? Now, I want to see. Who's been in a, a football stadium that had more than 80,000 people? Over 100,000? Anybody been in an event over 100,000? Oh, wow. One person in the back. Cool. Anybody be in an event over 500,000? We can't even comprehend it, can we? 10 million angels. More than 10 million angels. Holy, perfect beings. Can you imagine? That would just be gigantic. Just surrounding this lamb, and then it says thousands of thousands. The point is, is that the extras are still millions, <laughs> the leftovers of the calculable. So, in other words, it's uncalculable—millions upon millions upon millions. Wow! Can you imagine that worship scene? How many of you can you can you see John? I wonder what he was thinking. <sighs> The scene grows, man. You got four, 24, millions, <laughs> millions and millions. And they say with a loud voice, and he could understand what they were saying. Now, wait a second. Stop. Think about this for a second. Have you ever listened to a, a large group of people sing or say something? I mean, the best I've ever heard is I have to admit, the Shepherd's Conference. When all the guys are all singing, because their voices are all, you know, pretty much the same. <laughs> and they're all singing at the same pitch, and it's pretty amazing. There are times when you're sitting in shepherd's comforts and you just want to stop. Right, guys? You just stop and just listen. Wow, this is cool. When they sing holy, holy, holy or something like that. It's, whoa, <laughs> just want to stand in the middle and listen. That's 5,000. Think of millions upon millions upon millions. How loud that would be. How overwhelming that would be what a scene and guess what he's worthy of that if all of creation all of God's angels everything stops and says worthy is the lamb how much more should our own lives be all about the lamb all of creation stops and goes Wow God, the Lamb is worthy of everything. How much more should our lives be about the Lamb? Nothing else, right, is important. Everything pales in comparison to the Lamb. Oh, folks, can you imagine millions upon millions of holy angels saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Notice his death again. Preeminent even in their thoughts, was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There are seven things showing the fullness of it, the totality of all that the lamb deserves and is worthy of. Now it's interesting here, when you think on this for a second, he already has these things, doesn't he? The Lamb has all the power and riches. Everything that's here is owned by who? The Lamb. God, right? God owns everything. Why does it say to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing? I think this points again back to the need for the redemption of the creation. Now let me explain. Think about this. What does our world say? What does the creation often show and say? No, I have the wealth. I have the riches. I have the glory. I have the power. We have numerous people thinking that they are the it on the earth, right? But at the redemption, who is worthy to receive it all? At the millennium kingdom, who is genuinely worthy to receive it all? The lamb. So great for us, folks. Listen to me closely. He is worthy because he was slain and purchased a people for himself. It's his. Now we need to acknowledge it, right? It's his. Just a side note here. Just a nice application. Your money. Guess whose it is? His. (laughs) All that you have. Guess whose it is? His. His. I was reminded this week, again, as I said in my Facebook page, I was reminded that my children are his also this week. They only, he is Lord over them. What happens to them? He is Lord over them. What do we take possession of? What do we say, this is mine? We're born this way, aren't we? two-year-old, ask go up to a two-year-old and try to take a toy from him, what are they going to say? Mine! We think everything we have is ours, isn't it? We take ownership of everything. One day, creation will be redeemed. And when that happens, everybody will say, it's his. All knowledge is his. All power is his. All wisdom, all honor, all glory, all riches, they're his, not mine. I look forward to that day. How about you? All to him we give, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you for more about worship, recognizing that you alone are worthy to receive everything. It's yours, after all. And to the Lamb who was slain slain and paid for our sin and purchased us, oh, everything we have is yours. Take it, Father. You deserve it, not us. You are worthy, not us. We will trust you, Jesus, and you alone. We pray this in Christ's name for his glory.